0: So I heard a prophet speak this week, at least I think I did. It was kind of like a voice crying in the wilderness, except I I, I, I expect that's often how it feels if you are Governor Kate Brown and you are accustomed by this point to having your messages disregarded and sometimes condemned by a certain portion of your populace. If current modeling holds, she said at her Friday press conference, we will see the current COVID case counts, already the highest numbers that we've seen in Oregon to date. Those numbers will likely double by Christmas. She said, when I see that number, I am horrified. We are on the brink of a full-blown bro- full crisis, she said. But hope, in the form of a vaccine, hope is on the way. Hope is on the way. The truth may set you free, as Gloria Steinem once quipped. The truth may set you free, but first it will piss you off. She was a woman who was something of a prophet herself in her day. That's usually how we understand the prophets, right? These crazy guys with a penchant for camel's hair and locusts who burst their way into church on the second Sunday in Advent every year and start taking names. We've got a slightly, slightly softer version of John the Baptist in Mark's Gospel this morning. There's no, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, that's what we hear in other years, but Mark's John is a little bit softer. He says, the one coming after me is more powerful. Mark gives us a John who is less interested maybe in pissing you off and more interested in setting you free. I'll admit, I'm a little bit relieved with everything that's going on in our world right now. I'm a little bit relieved to have a series of prophetic voices this morning, less interested in telling me how miserable I am. (laughs) I know how miserable I am. Less interested in telling me how messed up I am, and a little more interested in bringing me a voice of comfort, a voice of hope. Second Isaiah says, speak tenderly. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Speak tenderly to my people. Tell them that they have already paid their penalty, that they have received double for all their sins. They've had a really hard year. And things are going to get worse. (laughs) Things are going to get worse before they get better. But, Isaiah says, but hope is on the way. Comfort and hope. That's where 2nd Isaiah begins. This, This anonymous prophet who wrote... 2,600 years ago, under, when, the, when the nation of Judah, the people of Israel, were in some pretty dire straits, some scholars have speculated that this writer, 2nd Isaiah, Deutero-Isaiah is how we sometimes refer to this writer, this is the part of the book of Isaiah that we heard this morning, the part that begins with these famous words, comfort, oh comfort my people. And some scholars have suggested that 2nd Isaiah may actually have been a woman, because there's some very distinctive imagery that this prophet uses for God in the 15 or so chapters attributed to him or her. They contain a lot of maternal images, not a, not a common set of images for an ancient Near Eastern deity in the 6th century BCE. That theory is it's more than a little bit gender essentialist, but it's an interesting one to entertain, I think. In 2nd Isaiah, we hear the prophet making comparisons like like a woman in childbirth, I cry out, I gasp, I pant. God says to the people through the prophet, as a mother comforts her child, that's how I will comfort you. I will comfort you in Jerusalem, the prophet writes, because as near as we can tell from the context, the people are aching to return to Jerusalem. They're aching to come home after generations of exile in the foreign city of Babylon. That's, that's the situation actually that's being described in these famous words that we heard this morning. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God, the prophet says. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be brought low. The uneven ground will be leveled and the rough places smoothed out. And when that trans-desert highway is built, when the highway from Babylon to Jerusalem takes its place, when the people begin to stream back home from their places of abandonment, And loneliness, that's when, Isaiah says, that's when the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all flesh will see it together. I mean, you couldn't pick a better text for people who are mourning in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. You have suffered enough. That's what Isaiah has to say. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. She's already served her term. She has received double for all her sins. Enough of the punishment, enough of the blame and the recrimination, enough of the carping and the snarking and the complaining. All flesh is grass, right? Isaiah can see that. The voice says, cry out. And she says, well, what do I cry? The people are grass. Their constancy is like nothing. It's like the flower of the field. The, gla- the grass withers, the flower fades. All our yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death. Out, out, brief candle. She's a realist, right? This, this inheritor of the ancient prophetic lineage of Isaiah, the one who, you know, 100 years earlier had denounced Kings and pissed off warriors and generals, there's no constancy, right? There's no reliability in the people. Governor Brown knows that. 2nd Isaiah knows that. Surely the people are grass, she says, and yet something, something remains. And so this writer, 2nd Isaiah, whoever he or she was, pulls this word from the ancient part of her tradition. She kind of recontextualizes it. We might say in some ways, invents a new word or, or takes an old word and gives it a whole new meaning. She says, get up to your high mountain, you, what? You news teller, lift up your voice with strength. You, you herald of glad tidings. That's the way our text translates it. A more literal translation would be like, you smooth and rosy faced messenger. That's actually what that word means in its most ancient sense. The ancient root baswar seems to have something to do with like making somebody's face smooth. We think that's like a poetic way of like saying, wiping away somebody's tears, right? Taking away somebody's facial anxiety. You can't see my face behind this mask. But imagine, right, like if somebody took a cloth over all my wrinkled, naughty, anxious, teary face and just wiped me smooth, right? That's what that word means. Lift up your voice with strength, tear wiper. That's the word that several hundred years later, translated into a different language, a different anonymous writer, tradition calls him Mark, is gonna set down at the beginning of his text. Evangelion is the way Mark translates it. That comes down to us through a lot of different historical machinations as the English word gospel or God spell. That's good news, the faith-smoothing news, the tear-wiping news that John the Baptist is the first to announce in the wilderness, right? It's not that far off from the gospel that that anonymous prophet, 2nd Isaiah, gave to the people 700 years before. Here is, we might say, the original gospel, the original good news, before it gets perverted by contemporary preachers trying to use it as a cudgel to make you behave. The original good news came to people mourning in lonely exile. And the good news then was this, here is your God that's what 2nd Isaiah says to her people. Here is your God. God is coming with might. God's reward is coming along with him. God's going to feed God's flock like a shepherd. God will gather the lambs into God's arms, carry them in God's bosom. Literally, that's like the fold of God's garment, right? God will gently lead the mother sheep. It's, it's the moms, according to 2nd Isaiah, right? It's the moms who are going to lead this thing. The highway that God is preparing is like a a million mother march to the sea. The people are returning home. And 2nd Isaiah insists, it's the mothers who are going to lead the way. I mean, if that, doesn't, like, if that doesn't get you up and out of your seat, I don't know what will. With, with case counts on the rise, with death swirling all around us, with heartbreak and loss and pain and grief and exile dogging our every day, here is our original gospel the first good news to be preached the first wiping away of tears and smoothing out wrinkled brow messages your god is here your god is already here your god is already at work among you your god is not slow about keeping promises as some think of slowness your god is patient with you gentle with you like a mother who never stops loving her kids second peter says your salvation will come through patience. Oh, when I learn patience, I am saved. So often, it seems the prophets, you know, we think of them as the guys who have the angry word, the the denouncing word, right? And, you know, God knows, sometimes we need to hear that harsher reality, the wake-up call that truth often demands, the pissing off in order to set us free. But on the other side of that prophetic off-pissing for people who mourn in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear, there is also this message of comfort. And that's actually where the word gospel starts. Until the news is good news, it's not the gospel. Until your heart lifts by beauty and truth that inspire something new in you, it is something less than the gospel that you are hearing. The truth may indeed piss you off. (laughs) Sometimes that's where it starts. But there are these fierce mama bears in our tradition who are ready to lead this thing, who are preparing even now for the new world that is awaiting us on the other side of this darkest of nights. And the ancient prophecies of 2nd Isaiah, I think are about to come true for us too. Yet again, children are being born to us, sons and daughters given to us, and it's the moms, it turns out, it's the moms they're actually the original prophets, right? The ones who know how to tell you the truth in a way that can both piss you off and set you free. My mother knows how to do that. Maybe yours does too. I want to stop thinking about prophets as like these crazy, you know, doomsday guys yelling in the wilderness. I want to start thinking about prophets as people who know some of the hardest pain a body can endure, the pain of childbirth, right? Those are voices that I think for a long time we thought we were lost to history, but maybe we've got an echo of one of those voices right here, these ancient maternal voices who give us a very different way of thinking about who God is and what God is up to, and who invent this word to help point the way. Every prophet who comes after her follows in her footsteps. The, the forerunner to the forerunner, if you like, the woman who paves the way for John the Baptist And nothing that John has to say is more profound than what this original prophetic mom had to say, which got echoed hundreds of years later by another mom, a woman who ran to meet her cousin Elizabeth, the one who was carrying John the Baptist in her womb. And Mary said, God is here to cast down the mighty from their thrones and to lift up the lowly, to fill the hungry with good food and send the rich away empty-handed. That's that's an echo of that original prophetic text. Every valley is being filled up. Every mountain and hill is brought low. The long crooked is finally being straightened out. And the rough places are being smoothed. Right? It's an echo of that gospel idea. The idea that when the good news comes, it wipes your sorrowful brow clean and smooth. And you face the new world with rosy cheeks... And a little bit of wetness, like a baby that has just issued forth from the birth canal. That's the echo of that idea. This is actually what the gospel is all about. You wipe away the tears. You hold the sobbing child a little bit closer. You fill the hungry ones with the choicest meat. You lift up the forgotten and despised. That's when we see the glory of the Lord being revealed. When all flesh sees it together. For the mouth of the Lord, right? The mouth of the the prophet, the mouth of the mother hath spoken it.